came across a few interesting Christmas statistics this past week. It is estimated that we will spend $29.3 billion on gift cards during this Christmas season, restaurants being the top gift card of choice. 46% of folks surveyed admitted that they have lied about liking a gift that they received from a loved one. 51% uh, admitted to buying gifts for themselves as they're shopping to get gifts for others. 34% of dog owners, 22% of cat owners purchase gifts for their pets. The average gift cost being $50 for their pets. 62% of people surveyed indicated that they wait until the week before Christmas to do their shopping. 7% indicated they wait to the day before Christmas to do their shopping. So the good news is you have plenty of time to shop for Christmas. Christmas is not as much about the gifts that we give to others as it is about the gift that has been given to us. Christmas is about the most amazing gift ever given. Christmas is about the most expensive gift ever given. Christmas is about the most generous gift ever given. Christmas is about the most loving gift ever given. Christmas is about the gift of the birth of God's Son, our Savior, King Jesus. Christmas is about... God's gift of forgiveness and grace and hope and peace and salvation given to us in Christ Jesus. So open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're continuing this morning talking about this amazing gift that God has given to us in King Jesus. And we're continuing in our series. We started last Sunday titled Emmanuel, God is with us. Matthew quoted Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, when he said, See, the virgin will come pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Last Sunday, we focused our attention on Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Matthew shared with us that Emmanuel, God is with us, provides protection. God protected Joseph and Mary from divorce. God protected Jesus from King Herod's death threats. God protected Joseph, Mary, and Jesus from danger. God's protection of them included his provision for them. God met all their needs. He gave them what they needed when they needed it. Emmanuel, God is with us, provides protection for us. God protects our coming and going every day. God watches over us. He protects us when we see it and when we don't. God's protection of us includes his provision for us. God meets all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God gives us what we need when we need it. So as each one of us continue to shine the light of Jesus in this sin-darkened world around us, during this Christmas season, we can trust God and we can press in close to God, confident 
in his protection and provision. Luke is the author of the gospel that bears his name and the book of Acts. Luke was a medical doctor. He was a good friend of the Apostle Paul, and he was a meticulous historian who compiled an accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke gave us the most information about the birth of Jesus in the New Testament. Luke told us about the good news of great joy for all people. Luke also told us Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Salvation is available to Jew, Gentile, Samaritans, and anyone who will believe in and receive Jesus by faith. Luke was also inspired by God. The Holy Spirit of God guided Luke to write the very words that God wanted him to write down in his word to us so that we could this morning gather around together this gospel, study these truths, and continue walking in the transformation work that God is doing in each one of us. And so what a privilege, what a joy it is for us to look into God's word at any point in time, of any day during the week. But what a joy and privilege it is for us to look into God's word this morning, during this Christmas season, to look into this gospel account from Luke and to once again learn from Luke, to once again discover the truth that God has prepared for us this morning in Luke's gospel. And so I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 1 with verse 1. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It's important. We'll talk about that more in a moment. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke welcomes us into this, his gospel, with this incredible greeting. These first four verses, this greeting in Luke chapter 1, is actually one sentence, one amazing, incredible sentence in the original Greek language. Emmanuel, God is with us, provides protection, as we've already seen. Emmanuel, God is with us, provides proof as well, which we're going to look at this morning. God's plan for Jesus' birth included proof of Jesus' birth. I think it's important for us to be reminded this morning, the birth of Jesus is not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It's not a man-made work of fiction that has been passed down through the ages and believed blindly by folks. 
No, no, no. The birth of Jesus is truth that is built on overwhelming facts. The birth of Jesus is truth that can be trusted by you and by me today and every day. So let's dive into what Luke has shared with us. And we're going to start right here in this greeting. We're going to start right here in these first four verses. And I want to identify three points that Luke shares with us here in his greeting that will help us as we move through our time together uh, this morning, looking at the proof of the birth of Jesus. The first point we see is that Luke's information was public. Luke wrote many, we'll stop there, the very first word, verse 1, chapter 1, the first word, many, means many. Many people attempted to write a record, an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. The events that have been fulfilled among us means the events of Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the events of Jesus' life were not done in secret. They were not hidden. They were not private. They were fulfilled among us. Jesus walked and talked. He ministered. He healed. He preached. He taught. He performed miracles publicly, out in the open, for all to see. Think about it with me. After watching the ministry of Jesus, after listening to the teaching of Jesus, after seeing the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we would expect many to immediately record and write down what they had just witnessed. It makes sense that many would have attempted to compile an account of what they had witnessed because Luke's information was public. Luke did not name any of these other authors. He, he didn't mention the names of the other authors, but he did tell us that they were original eyewitnesses and they included servants of the word. In other words, these sources are trustworthy. These accounts are true. So Luke's information was public. A second point we see in this greeting is Luke's writing was thorough. His writing was thorough. We see that Luke went and he undertook to write an account. Now, it's important to note Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus. But Luke included the eyewitness accounts of those who were with Jesus 
in his gospel. Eyewitness comes from the original Greek word autoptes. We get our English word autopsy from this word. Doctors perform autopsies to determine a person's cause of death. Luke was using this word and he was saying that he, a medical doctor, performed an autopsy on the accounts and records of these eyewitnesses to Jesus. He carefully investigated. He did an autopsy on all of these accounts to determine, to prove, and to show the trustworthiness of his writing. Luke interviewed people who walked and talked with Jesus. Luke interviewed people who knew and ministered with Jesus. Luke's friendship, think about it with me, Luke's friendship with the Apostle Paul would have brought him into contact with many in the first church in Jerusalem, some of those obviously being eyewitnesses to Jesus and his ministry. Those some included Peter and James, the half-brother of Jesus. Luke's writing was tested. Luke's writing was thorough. Luke's writing was carefully investigated. Luke's writing was and is trustworthy. It was then and it still is today. And so we see this information was public. His writing was thorough. And Luke's purpose, the third point we see is Luke's purpose was clear. It was clear. Luke wrote with a specific audience in mind. Luke's specific audience was Theophilus. Theophilus, most Bible scholars believe, was a Roman official, more than likely a a high-ranking government official. Most honorable and most excellent were greetings that were generally reserved only for those of highest rank uh, in office. Theophilus, quite probably, possibly was a follower of Jesus Christ who had questions about his faith in Jesus. Luke wanted Theophilus to be confident in the facts about Jesus and in his faith in Jesus, which is why Luke shared here in verse 4 that he wrote his gospel to Theophilus so that he could know with certainty, with certainty, say that with me out loud, with certainty that the things that he was taught, the things that he had been, been instructed about Jesus, his birth, and all that that led to, that those things were actually true. So Luke's specific audience is Theophilus. Luke's general audience is all followers of Jesus, which includes you and me. Luke wanted all followers of Jesus to be confident in the facts about Jesus, to be confident in their faith in Jesus. Luke wrote this gospel account, carefully investigated so that we could know Jesus, believe in Jesus, receive Jesus, live for Jesus, and tell others about Jesus with confidence. And we know and understand this information has stood the test of time. Daryl Bach is a renowned New Testament scholar and author. 
and he shared with us about this passage. He said the early origin of oral and written traditions. That means uh, in the, the Jewish culture, uh, there was a strong tradition of oral, passing down the truth of God's word orally and in written form. The early origin of oral and written traditions for the life of Jesus provides evidence against three common claims of skeptics. The first skeptic claim, vital biographical data about Jesus was lost before anyone penned the Gospels. Aren't wrong. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. There were all kinds of writings before these Gospels were penned about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Second, Jesus was an obscure figure before canonical books were written. Aren't. Not a chance. An obscure figure? Not a chance. Everyone was talking about Jesus, following Jesus, or trying to kill Jesus. He was the key figure, and he remains the key figure today. The third, Jesus never even existed, skeptics say. And biblical books represent fiction, the invention of a divine redeemer patterned after Greek mystery religions. Not even close to being true. Obviously, we know Jesus came first. And so we understand what we hold in our hands this morning is a reliable record about the birth of Jesus. It has been tested and it can be trusted by you and by me. And why is it so important for us to establish the reliability, the dependability, the truth of the birth of Jesus? Because once the birth of Jesus is established, then we begin to see that dependability and reliability continue through his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and all that that means for us today as followers of Jesus. And so today, you may interact with folks. You may even hear yourself be thinking, you know what? I wonder if there really is evidence. These folks are asking me questions, and they, they may have come up with one of these three objections, or they may object in other ways. And I've heard about the birth of Jesus, and I've been to church, and I've heard, and growing up in Sunday school, I've heard in church, and man, these questions, now I'm starting to kind of wonder myself. Well, listen, right here, what we're talking about will give you peace, will arm you with truth that you can be confident in, and that you can go forth and share with folks, which really allows us to supersize our worship of King Jesus in this season. When we know the depths of what we believe in, when we know the evidence, it allows us to truly worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so let's answer a second question. Uh, what are some of the proofs or the pieces of evidence that we have that point to uh, the reliability of the birth of Jesus. How do we know the birth of Jesus is true? Well, Luke gave us an indication of uh, some 
examples of proof or evidence that we can look at uh, that helps us to understand the birth of Jesus is true. You know as well as I do today that evidence is important when solving cases, when trying to get to the truth of a matter. Evidence makes a big difference, and there needs to be a lot of evidence. There should be a lot of evidence uh, that gives confidence to those seeking uh, the truth. And so we can look at evidence this morning. Let me just look at four uh, pieces of evidence. I'm going to share four pieces of evidence that point to the birth of Jesus being true and then obviously what that means for us moving forward from this morning. The first is the gospel accounts. All four gospel authors wrote about the life and ministry of Jesus to different people from different perspectives with different purposes. Matthew and Luke included in their accounts detailed information about the birth of Jesus. As we have said, Luke gave us a carefully investigated, detailed, excellent account narrative of the birth of Jesus, which led to the life of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and the appearances of Jesus, which led to the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus back into glory. So we've seen already from Luke's introduction here, his greeting, that Luke included the most information that we have about the birth of Jesus in detail. We also know that Matthew, as we looked last week, provided information about the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph, God's plan for Joseph and Mary in the birth of Jesus. And so we know that Matthew wrote about how God appeared to Joseph and shared his plan for Joseph with Joseph through the angel. Matthew wrote about how Joseph obeyed God, and he did exactly what the angel told him to do. And so we have the gospel accounts as a first piece of evidence that points to the truth of Jesus. A second is the eyewitnesses. Once again, we come back to the eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses provide convincing, compelling, firsthand knowledge of what they have seen with their eyes and heard with their ears. Eyewitness testimony is important testimony. Just so that we know what we're talking about here, these Gospels, this Gospel of Luke in particular, most scholars believe it was written around 60 A.D., 60 to 62 A.D., we know that Jesus, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection happened in the AD 30 to 33 time frame. And so we're only talking about maybe 25 to 30 years of separation of time from when all these things happened that Jesus went through to when we're finally <clears throat> seeing these gospels being penned and being published. That's a very short amount of time. There were other works, other books that were written and published even before Luke's gospel. And so we're talking about a very short amount of time, which means there were eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus, his birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, all that happened to Jesus. Quite probably, there were plenty of eyewitnesses that were still alive that Luke was able to interview and to talk with, to meet with. Certainly, many eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus and all that he did. And so we see eyewitness accounts. So let's look at some of these eyewitnesses. One and the first eyewitness is clear. It's obvious. The very first eyewitness to the birth of Jesus is Joseph and Mary. Mary obviously saw Jesus as she was giving birth to Jesus, Joseph and Mary, eyewitnesses to the birth. We know 
the wise men were eyewitnesses. They saw <clears throat> Jesus after his birth in Bethlehem as they followed the star that God used to guide them to Bethlehem. We see this in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, in verse 10. Matthew wrote, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw. Say they saw. They saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Scripture here, Matthew says, the wise men <clears throat> saw with their eyes Jesus. Third set of eyewitnesses are the shepherds. The shepherds saw Jesus after his birth in the manger in Bethlehem <clears throat> just as the angel told them they would see this one born king of the Jews. In Luke's gospel, chapter 2, if you turn to your right from chapter 1, if you look in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 16, we read, They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, say that with me out loud, after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So we see the shepherds were eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus. We also know Simeon was an eyewitness to the birth of Jesus. Simeon was a righteous man, Luke told us. Simeon was actually promised by God. This is an amazing promise. Think about this for a moment. You can dwell on this this afternoon or this week. Simeon was a righteous man. He loved God. He followed God. He believed in God. And God gave Simeon a promise. And here was the promise that God gave to Simeon. He had promised Simeon that you will not die until you're able to see the Lord's salvation. Until you're able to see the Lord's Messiah. You will not die until you see the Savior, King Jesus. And so Luke described in chapter 2 how the Holy Spirit guided Simeon to move into the temple area at the very time Joseph and Mary brought Jesus, the infant Jesus, into the temple area. And in Luke 2 and verse 28, Luke recorded this scene. Simeon took him up in his arms. That's Jesus, and praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you've promised, for my eyes have seen. Say that with me out loud. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Eyewitnesses, Joseph and Mary, the wise men, the shepherds, Simeon, many others were eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus and to Jesus as he grew up. If you read in Luke 2, in verse 52, Luke wrote these words, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Many were eyewitnesses <clears throat> to Jesus as he grew up. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus Christ crucified on the cross of Calvary. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus after his resurrection on the third day. Paul wrote about how Jesus appeared to over 500 of his followers for a period of 40 days after his resurrection, proving to them 
that he was alive. Eating with them, talking with them, ministering to them, teaching them, preparing them. Many eyewitnesses saw Jesus as he ascended before them back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Eyewitness accounts provide compelling evidence for the truth of the birth of Jesus. And we have overwhelming evidence from eyewitnesses. Again, everything that happened was in public. So even those who did not believe in Jesus could not deny the birth and life and ministry of Jesus because they spent their time trying to take Jesus out. Which ultimately, they thought happened on the cross of Calvary, but we know different. And so we see strong, overwhelming evidence that the birth of Jesus is true. A third piece of evidence is Old Testament prophecy. The prophets prophesied, they predicted, they wrote about this birth of Jesus long before it happened. The Old Testament prophets, they wrote about the birth of Jesus as they spoke for God by the power of God. And we've looked at many of these prophecies that we see in the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke, these Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled. One was Isaiah's prophecy. Matthew wrote about Isaiah the prophet, his prophecy. In Matthew chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23, Matthew recorded these words. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that being the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will give him the name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Later, King Herod, as we looked at last week, he asked, upon hearing about this one born king of the Jews, he gathered the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, and he, he gathered the, the priests and the scribes. And he said, hey, t -t tell me, where is this Jesus Christ? Where is he to be born? Where will the Christ child be born? And we see Matthew quoted Micah, the Old Testament prophet, in Matthew chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we see Old Testament prophecy hundreds, thousands of years before, written about, spoken about by these prophets who were inspired by God, is another amazing piece of evidence that supports the truth and reliability of the birth of Jesus that we celebrate during this Christmas season. A fourth piece of evidence is the growth of the New Testament church. Paul and the New Testament church Paul was one of the key leaders that helped the New Testament church explode. Peter was another of the leaders that helped the New Testament church explode. Early in the book of Acts, which Luke penned as well, we find Peter in the book of Acts, early on in the book of Acts, and he's preaching one of the very first sermons in the first church in Jerusalem. And in that first sermon, Peter, he does something amazing. In that first sermon, he refers back into the sermon to our hero, our Old Testament friend, David. 
and how God had promised David years and years before that he would have a descendant, that he, David, would have a descendant that would always sit on the throne of Israel. And Luke shared and recorded this sermon about how Peter declared that God fulfilled his promise to David thousands of years before in the birth of King Jesus. And so we see the birth of Jesus as we look at the New Testament church. The birth of Jesus led to the perfect life of Jesus, which led to the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary for you and for me, led to the burial of Jesus, which led to the resurrection of Jesus, victorious over sin and death for us on the third day, which led to the 40 days of the appearances of Jesus to his followers and disciples, which led to the ascension of Jesus back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, which led to the Holy Spirit coming to dwell the followers and disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem at Pentecost, which led to the start and the spread of the New Testament church from Jerusalem into the Roman world and beyond, and the growth and spread of the New Testament church continues today. It's continuing today. One of the reasons that we're rejoicing this morning about giving to our international missions offering is because there are churches continuing today to be planted in Lesotho and in India in part because of our support of our missionaries there. The growth and spread of the church has not stopped. It continues into the nations, even today. And so we see evidence just continues to pile on to evidence, and it begins to just become overwhelming proof and support of what we read and what we hold in our hands. It's truth, it's dependability, it's reliability. We can trust in this word that God has given to us. We can rejoice and the birth of Jesus, knowing that it is truth for us that can be trusted. We can share all that we see here in this amazing passage, in this amazing story, certainly during the Christmas season, but throughout the year as well. So what is our application today? What, what can we take away today? Quick couple of application points for you and for me. Number one, since the birth of Jesus is true, we can believe. Since the birth of Jesus is true, believe. We can believe in Jesus with confidence and conviction. We can believe in the birth of Jesus. We can believe in the life of Jesus. We can believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We can believe we receive forgiveness of sins by the blood Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We can believe that we are able to enter into a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith and trust in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for us. We can believe we receive new life, abundant life, eternal life with God in Christ Jesus. We can believe since Jesus overcame, we can overcome. We can believe there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We can believe no one or nothing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. We can believe in the truth about the birth of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. You see, the birth of Jesus is full of overwhelming truth based off of facts 
for us as followers of Jesus. We can believe this morning. We can believe that this word is true for you, me, and all those God places around us. It's like the words to the old hymn says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We stand upon the truth of Jesus Christ. Started with his birth. So God sent him to rescue us from our sins. Since the birth of Jesus is true, believe in Jesus. Since the birth of Jesus is true, share. Share Jesus. Listen, the birth of Jesus is news that is good too, good too good for us to keep to ourselves. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins and to open the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into our relationship with God. Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary, thereby defeating, defeating sin for you and me. He was buried in the tomb on the third day. He rose again victorious over sin and death for us. So Jesus defeated sin and death for us, and he opened the way for us to be able to be reconciled, to be able to be brought back into a relationship with God, to be able to stand before God right with him. We receive forgiveness of sins, and we enter into a relationship with God by faith in the Son of God, King Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God. So let's believe in Jesus. Let's live for Jesus, by the power of Jesus alive and at work in us. Let's minister to one another through Jesus, and let's tell others about Jesus. During this Christmas season, as you now just take a moment and begin to think about all that you have ahead of you, and there's a lot. If your family's like my family, almost every day is already taking care of, reserved. A lot. We've got a lot ahead of us in this next week. And what God wants us to do right here and right now, before we even get too far into this week, we're starting this week off right here, Sunday morning, first day of the week, we're starting it off. What God's wanting us to do is, is to, to begin to think about this key thought, during this week, during this time of celebration with family and friends and all that is before us, let's take opportunities. Let's take opportunities to share the good news of the birth of Jesus with those God places around us. Let's take opportunities to tell others about the difference Jesus makes in us. Let's take opportunities to tell others about the difference that Jesus can make in, him, in them. As we're out and about in stores, restaurants, activities, parties, we're celebrating, embracing one another, 
giving gifts to one another, loving one another, encouraging one another. Let's also be sure to look for those opportunities and then to take those opportunities to share the good news of great joy for all people. Let's truly celebrate this season, this week, the birth of Jesus and all that that means to us. Since the birth of Jesus is true, we can believe and we can share. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. Let me just also encourage you, since the birth of Jesus is true, we can receive this gift of salvation by God's grace through our response of faith in Jesus. What a tragedy to go through this Christmas season and to miss the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of love and life in Jesus Christ that came humbly for us in a manger in Bethlehem years ago which truly is just beyond all our understanding to completely comprehend that that was God's plan for His Son, our Savior. And how Jesus obeyed God, His Father's plan, fulfilled every aspect of the plan at every point all the way to the cross. For you and me. He didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again. He's alive and wants a relationship with you. Sir, ma'am, here in person, online, don't go another moment, another hour, another day without receiving this greatest gift ever sent. Say yes to Jesus today. Our prayer partners are standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. They'd also love to introduce you to Jesus. Many are praying already. If God is moving you to move and to go and to be a minister to someone by encouraging them, blessing them, praying over them, go grab them now. Bring them to the altar, pray over them. You just want to make, maybe grab your wife's hand, your husband's hand, and just pray right now. Kneel where you're seated. The Holy Spirit of God is moving. He's at work. He's speaking to each one of us. And as he speaks to us, he's calling for a response of faith from us. That'll look different for each of us. But what he wants is the same from all of us, and that's obedience. Just like Joseph and Mary and everyone else that we see in this story, he wants us to do exactly what he's asking us to do. Friend, if you've yet to receive Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him this morning. Today is a day of salvation. God's giving you another opportunity by his grace to say yes to Jesus. We're going to worship the Father through song and, and minister to one another, encourage and love one another. Let's stand and let's say yes to the Father.